you're fed up with the nine to five, you've been working hard for years, and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello, everyone. This is the Business Breaks podcast, and I'm your host, Dante Healy. So I'm very excited to be interviewing David Sophia, who is a global recognized expert in cash flow optimization, as well as the founder and CEO of the Clash is Clear Learning System. And this educates and advises accountants and CFOs on cash flow and profit maximization strategies for their clients. David teaches accountants how to grow their revenue with cash flow advisory services through the cash flow advisory certification program, as well as mastermind groups. As an expert in cash flow maximization, he is quoted in hundreds of news stories, spoken to audiences internationally, and appeared on dozens of podcasts and various television outlets. There is a popular expression amongst finance professionals, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is reality. And this is why I'm super excited to dive deeper into the subject of cash flow optimization during this interview. David, welcome to Business Breaks. Dante, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here with you today. And thank you so much. A pleasure to have you on the show. So to start off, David, can you please share your backstory with our listeners? How did your career develop from being an IT specialist, if I'm not wrong, to a leading advisor in cash flow for business? You're right. I started out my career at a manufacturing company that I was fortunate was my father's. And he said it was the beginning of the PC revolution and he needed somebody. And I didn't know what I was doing, but nobody else did either. So I got to learn from the grounds <laughs> up how to install PCs and DOS-based programs, etc. And I kept going and ended up with Unix programming but that was more of a skill, technical skill that I acquired to do a job, and it wasn't really my passion. I went to business school for international business, which was my real passion. And I, I took an entrepreneurship generalist approach without focusing too much. I actually um, took entrepreneurship my second quarter and TA'd the, the third quarter. I was only there, was able to get out in three quarters or three semesters. And I was able to get into the international business environment and rose up from sales and marketing, but I used that technical skill because I was in technical sales and got into marketing and then into more of a global marketing position. And then I was very fortunate that I had a boss who moved from company to company, brought me with him and finally said, David, I need help at Kodak. And I said, great. Put me in charge of Latin America. <laughs> and he did. So, uh, and so that's where I was able to dive in deep. And I ended up becoming the vice president and general manager for a division within Latin America. But as general manager, you need to be responsible for the profit and loss. So everything from revenue down to the profitability. And that included your pricing models, your service models, your cost controls. So I got familiar how to play with a whole bunch of different levers. and then was hired as the, the president and general manager for a wholly owned subsidiary of a company, but the Latin America subsidiary. So now it really was my company that I was running. And it was the same thing. Now, the one thing we never worried about was cash flow. 
<laughs> because it was big, large corporations. We worried about um, collections, accounts receivable, but that's not equal to cash flow. There's so <laughs> many other things involved. And along that time, people started asking me for advice. They knew that I was in business. I started doing consulting work on the side. And I did it. I mean, this has been 20 years now plus. I'm 2002 when I formed my company. So we had an anniversary this year. And I wanted to specialize. I got out of the corporate world and I've been doing this in 2018. I'm going, what can I specialize in? So there's general consulting, which is hard to do marketing with. People want to know what you do, how you do it. And I realized every single client that I was working with had cash flow issues. We didn't call it cash flow issues. It was sales issues. It was expense issues. It was inventory issues all over the place. And I realized that's where I wanted to specialize. And I hyper-focused down into cash. And when I did that, the first thing I said was, well, let me go see what's written about it. Who else is doing this? And what I found was people were writing five things to control your cash, seven things. If you're lucky, you got 10 things. And I was like, <laughs> this is crazy. I can probably think of 99 ways to control and manage your cash. And I got to 99, I kept going. And my list has now grown to 195 strategies and tactics that companies can use to manage their cash flow and then optimize and maximize their cash flow. Wow, that's a valuable skill to have, especially in these times with the end of um, what we call almost free money now. And companies are having to tighten up their balance sheets and actually focus on being profitable rather than just growing revenues. Because back in the day, in the last several years, especially if you're an IT company, you didn't have to worry about being profitable. It was all about revenue growth and you could get the cash from external investors. Now it's not that easy. And yeah, it's definitely creating a knock-on effect. But coming back to your background, I saw in your LinkedIn profile, when you refer to your dad's company, it was at the time you joined, it was a struggling business, but you turned it around and it was through focusing on the cash shortages your business had. So, well, that, okay, so yeah. let, me, yeah. let me clarify. I didn't turn anything around. My dad did it. All right. right? And, and they, but if I can just, what they did, they had a one page spreadsheet. You didn't have these multi page spreadsheets. It was very simple. Addition, subtraction, move to the next week. And they were able to manage that company, get extended credit because they had a cash flow plan until they profitably sold the company after a couple of years of significant struggles. So that's a type of turnaround as you get to sell the company instead of going out of business. Thanks for clarifying that. And um, the reason I got so excited is because my background, I mean, I'm working in IT now for yeah. finance companies, but as a junior accountant, when I first started my career, I joined a company that was struggling with profitability. It was a manufacturing company. They were unable to pay supplies on time. So we were always getting phone calls in the accounts payable department where they were just chasing us. Why haven't you paid us your 90 days plus overdue? And one of the actions we needed to take was to forecast our cash flows on a daily basis including the collections, et cetera. And it worked, but it seems going forward in my career that a lot of businesses only pay attention to cash flows when they're in financial trouble. And what are the most commonly held myths you see regarding cash flow management? You know, you sort of mentioned one a little while ago, and that was people could just sell more. Mm -hmm. So one of the myths 
um, is, and you see it all the time, increase your cash flow. I'll teach you how to increase your cash flow through selling more. And I just sit there and I mean, it's false advertising. It is possible if you have the right business model, high margins, and you get paid up front, or you have zero cost to deliver. Information products, for example, there's mm -hmm. literally zero cost to add on a client. Even if they pay 30, 60, 90 days down the road, all sales are good. Other than that, you end up needing to invest money generally before you get cash or before you get all of your cash. And so a um, huge myth out there that all sales are good and that they will generate cash flow. They will eventually, but most businesses, if you're a service-based business where you have to pay people, if you're a production-based business where you have to produce things, will will it will require money to get the money and you could be out of pocket 30, 45, 60 days before you actually get paid. So that's myth number one. I'm going to stick to sales. Myth number two is all revenue is good revenue, all and the client is always right. Those are combined. <laughs> I've got a saying that says, fire your loser clients. Now, not personal, nobody's a loser, right? The, not, we're not talking personal here. We're talking about, and I don't know if we're being, if this is a video recording or not, but I'm going to describe what I'm doing. I'm pulling out my wallet and pulling out a wad of bills. And I'm going to hand this to you, Dante, and say, here you go. You're my client. I'm going to give you money every month because you're costing me money. Even though you're giving me money, I'm spending more on you as a client than you're giving to me. So you're one of my loser clients because I'm losing money. And, and that's just a myth that's got to go away, that the clients are always right. If you're not making money, and money is not just the cash, it's also time. And I've talked to accountants, I've talked to business people, I've talked to everybody about this, and they go, yes, it's not just money. It's these clients that are negative. It's the clients that suck up all my time. So you're missing opportunity costs because they're the complainers, the ones they don't pay enough, and they complain. Those have to be either fixed. You can fix some of these relationships, but if you can't, they need to go away. So there's another myth. Myth number three, you only need to worry about cash flow when times are bad. It's the last time you want to worry about. You want to worry about it before there's a problem. It falls in line with the axiom, this is a true myth or true saying, banks only want to lend you money when you do not need it. That is 100% true. You want to worry about your cash flow before you need it, before you're having problems. Why? Because then it's not a worry. It's a system. It's a process. 15 to 30 minutes a week is what it would take for an accounting team to put together a cash flow model, update it. And then it literally can take five or 10 minutes for executives, a business owner to look and say, yeah, I'm in good shape. Or wait a minute, we're going to have a problem in a month or two months or three months. Let's do something today when we're sane. And guess what? A bank will lend us money today because they don't know we're going to have an issue in two months or three months. <clears throat> okay, so worry about it now. You know, the problem is you asked me, what are the top myths? I could talk about this the entire show. Pay slowly. No, pay fast and get a discount. If you've got the cash, you can save 10, 15, 20% or more by paying up front if you've got the 
got the cash. Hey, how about collect money as fast as you can? Wait a minute, time out. What if they're a good credit risk and you could be earning interest if you, again, if you don't need the cash because you're managing it properly, charge them more. Say, you know what? It's $100 today or make three easy payments of, of $40 each over the next three months. That's what the late night TV infomercials are all about, right? Yeah. They're not stupid. They're, they're not being nice people. They're saying, I want to make more money. Pay me slow, but give me more money. So anyhow, lots of myths to be blown up when it revolves around cash flow. Brilliant. Thank you. And and that that last one is very, very interesting because you're effectively, you're becoming a financer and you're you're earning interest on those late Absolutely. payments. If you can manage it and set it up so it's cheaper, it's cost effective to run. Definitely. Yeah, but but you could actually do interest arbitrage in the in the in the example I just gave, twenty percent increase in three months. Mm. Well, that's equivalent to an eighty percent increase over the course of a year. So if you can find somebody to lend you money for less than eighty percent, which don't even come close to that, if you can find somebody <laughs> right at a reasonable interest rate yeah. that you're borrowing your cash flow but it's offset by these increases in margin because that's all pure profit. Yeah. That's not just cash flow. There's no expense except for if you borrow the money. So there's, but again, this is proactive yeah. cash flow modeling and proactive cash flow optimization, maximization strategies. You can't do this when you've got the problem, which is when most people start going, oh, I better look at my cash flow. I mean, I'm mind blown at the moment. I, and as an ex-accountant, I should know this stuff. It's really crazy. But it's, it's, it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about money. It's about commercial awareness. So for the... Um, so the yeah, sorry, God. <laughs> no, no, you just mentioned two more myths. Yeah. Myth number one, that accountants should know this. And I'll get back to that. And myth number two, it's, it's, it's all about the money. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about myth number two. When a business owner has a problem, they look at the finance group and go, what the hell's going on? Fix yeah. it. But it's not that. It's sales. It's marketing. It's operation. It's yeah. it's the business owner themselves is oftentimes the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. So that's myth number one or, or number two broken. Myth number one that you mentioned is perhaps the biggest myth in the whole world, mm -hmm. which is that accountants learn this stuff or should know it. And it's not. What did you learn how to do in school when you learned accounting? And I'll People give you a hint. Yeah. And which direction were you looking? Backwards or forwards? We were looking at the past, of course. Yeah. It's all historic. Cash flow, you might be able to analyze the past, but what we're talking is proactivity and it's mm -hmm. future and predicting and and managing the future and creating your future and accountants respectfully are not taught that. And and yet there's this myth out there that my accountant will understand it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when uh, one of my first bosses, they said, they proudly said, we don't, we don't worry about forecasts, we deal in facts, you know, but at the same time, you craft your future, right? In in forecasting it, and planning. It, it's because that's what they're, that's what accountants are taught, bookkeepers mm -hmm. are taught. And it's not their fault. There's a professional mm -hmm. There's a gap in the marketplace hmm. because finance people learn how to do the forecasting stuff to a certain degree, but I'm not sure how well they know how to analyze the past. And to do good cash flow, you're doing you're putting them together. 
And so that's where I'm trying to bridge that gap. And so the people I'm teaching are finance, certain degree to finance people. There's one person who's an inventory person. There's some CFOs, mm-hmm. but they're mostly bookkeepers and accountants. And they say the exact same thing when I'm talking to them. David, I'm tired of handing clients reports and them saying, I need help and not being able to help them. I want to help them. I don't know how. Yeah, That's the goal is being able to help companies because when you help the companies, you help the owners and you help them stay in business. When you, that happens, there's the multiplier effect of all those employees, all those families, all the suppliers, all the customers that are impacted by business failures. And that's the reason I do this is to decrease the number of business failures and, actually, and then on the positive sides, help companies grow as much as they can and not be the profitable company who goes out of business because of cash flow issues. Incredible. And, uh, you know, it makes so much sense when I think about all these companies with otherwise competent accountants that still manage to go under and you think, how could that happen? And again, for non-finance listeners out there who assume that a qualified accountant would already know everything necessary to be an expert in managing cash flow. David, you've just outlined quite a few key points there. Is there anything else that you cover when you have to teach accountants how to best help their clients with these cash flow cash flow problems they experience? You know, one of uh, I've put together a system that has six mm-hmm. pillars. The first pillar that we have to keep coming back to and coming back to and coming back to is mindset to shift them from looking backwards to looking forwards, to get off of accrual-based accounting reports onto cash-based reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what, what you said at the beginning with cash is reality. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's why I call it cash is clear learning mm-hmm. systems is because it provides clarity that you can't get out of accounting systems. And and so it's shifting the mindset is the biggest issue. We just had a mastermind and my wife sits in where we're in business together. She's my business partner. She has read everything I've written for the last four years. And she knows this stuff, the theory at least, (laughs) better than like anybody else in the world, maybe except for me, but certainly my material. And we're in the middle of a mastermind doing an analysis of of just QuickBooks uh, sample data. And I'm going, there's a problem with what we're looking at, guys. And, and late, ladies and gentlemen, there's a problem. And I just sit and said, all right, I'll give you a hint. It's staring you in the face. Nothing. And my wife's in the background going, it's a cruel-based accounting. You can't do it based on a... It was an accrual-based report, and we at least needed to shift over to cash. And then you still have issues with cash-based accounting because it doesn't show up. There's certain things that don't show up, neither on a balance sheet nor on a P&L. And don't even get me started with the... Uh, statement of cash flows, trying to use that as a as a real tool. Yeah, it's all all backward looking, uh, thinking about it, and you can't really can't really judge anything. It's more for regulatory reporting and accounting to um, owners and shareholders, also other stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's opaque. I like to use that term. I mean, well, I think. Personally, for many small businesses, accrual-based accounting is opaque, like you can't see through it, opaque. Yeah. And cash basis is, okay, it's fuzzy, 
but at least you can get some visibility. Yeah. And the best way to do it is just switch, just take a PL and switch between accrual and uh, cash based accounting. And the numbers are wildly different for certain companies. Mind blown. <laughs> and uh, I think in terms of that, coming back to that mindset, um, you said it's a critical. It's, it's, it's actually sounds like it's foundational for any professional who's interested in mastering their cash flow and um, the importance of applying that creativity and forward thinking proactiveness to the process. I love it, but uh, how I can imagine also it must confuse traditional accountants who are trained and almost regimented to think and act and behave in a certain way. How do you get them out of that? spiral shall we say uh and you know also you know the word creative and accounting don't mesh well together the but it's not the same concept but how do you elaborate and explain it in a way that uh, they can grasp and and move forward with it that, that's a great question so first of all let me tell you what the second step is or that hmm. it really is a second step and the other ones are sort of they're not necessarily sequential hmm. and that's bookkeeping so it's not like I think that this is a bad thing. No, we really need great bookkeepers. We need accountants to do the adjusting journals, entries, and all the other great stuff. You have a really clean set of books because that's your basis for understanding what your costs are, your margins are, you know, all the goodness that has to come out to be able to predict cash flow going down the future, your average day's accounts receivable, average day's accounts payable, all that good stuff. Okay, that being said, now let's shift over to how do you change the mindset? Well, it takes time. And we have regular breakthroughs where during the middle of a mastermind meeting, somebody will go, I never thought of it like that. But the communication process is, and anybody can read some of these articles. Now, I've turned these articles into exercises for my coursework. But you go to my LinkedIn profile and uh, David Safir, D-A-V-I-D-S-A-F-E-E-R, you can look me up. Uh, you probably spelled it out in the show notes, and go look at the articles I've written. Now, uh, I mentioned that my wife has read everything. She didn't just read it. She edited everything. And when she didn't understand it, we would reword it. She's not an accountant. She's not a bookkeeper. She is not quite a lay person. So it's in plain English. It's so anybody can understand it. And so you might say, but wait a minute, you, there's, these are accountants. But it's like, but yeah, that's true. But the accountants need to understand in plain English what we're talking about. And, and just be, I'll give you another one. The, the, the article is called Keep Digging If You Want to Know What the Real Problem Is, right? Because that's another mindset. When, with accounting, you sort of end up with black and white. There's that joke, the best accountant is when you ask what's one plus one, they ask you what do you want it to be? Yeah, okay, that's, some people don't find that funny at all but mostly it's fairly within a limited constraints. All right, let's put it that way. Versus all over the place. And so you've got to keep digging and say, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, the guy has too much inventory. I said, why did you buy so much inventory? You didn't even sell last year's. Why'd you buy so much this year? Well, because you get 2% discount if you hit the platinum level. I said, okay, but you're, it's killing your cash flow. Why did mm. you, you didn't need the 2% discount? So why did you take the 2% discount? Well, I've got to get platinum level. Well, why do you need to get platinum level? Well, so the sticker goes on the door 
And so why is that? Because the, the, the competitor down the road has a platinum sticker. So I want to compete with him. And I said, do your, do your customers really care that you're a platinum dealer instead of a gold dealer? And he just, do they know that you're platinum? And when we really talked to him, he said, no, they don't know. And I, you're right, David, they probably wouldn't care. So what's the real cause of his cash flow issues? If the, ca- if the issue is inventory, why does he really have so much? It's ego. Mm, that's, that's so powerful. I go ahead. Sorry, I'll stop. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off on your flow, but uh, I was just going to jump on it. It's a vanity metric. And uh, again, getting the right KPIs is critical. Sorry. But yeah. Yeah. And um, no, it's okay because I could keep going and going and I don't want to do that. But it brings up another subject is mm. I recommend to all the people I work with, this is not, you said it yourself, this is not a financial issue. And it's generally a an emotional issue. It's it, but if you have, if you're in cash flow crunch, it's definitely an emotional issue. But mm. then it's usually behavioral based uh, processes that are happening within a company. And so I recommend to people they go out and get coaching training. I, I took a uh, what's it called uh, life coaching, not business coaching. I took a life coaching course online. Udemy loved it. And I got my certificate, it's on my wall because I'm really proud of it because I realize most of what I'm dealing with is human behaviors and emotions, which is more of a life coaching issue than it is any kind of aspect of business. That's that's, that's something that I haven't heard uh, before. So at least not in finance. And that's, 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 but it's, it's looking back, it's so true. It's a lot of decisions are made based on psychology. And there's a certain amount of emotion attached to decisions. Um, so mastering your well, emotions is key. But, but look back at the companies you, you've worked at um, mm. or the company you're working at today and say to yourself, how often do you say that doesn't make any sense? Mm. I mean, from a business perspective, it doesn't. And you don't have the opportunity to keep digging. But I would suggest a lot of those is exactly what I'm talking about, where you just don't feel good about decisions being made about you or about your department or about the company. And sometimes they're just, it's, uh, it's a life coaching issue based on emotion. Understand. Thank you. And uh, speaking of emotions, you mentioned about businesses that struggle financially, that creates an additional psychological burden. So you're really providing a, I could say an invaluable service. I wanted to come back, uh, putting some context to what we have in the UK. So around the smaller businesses, the startups in the UK, we have this um, code called prompt payment code. And what that does is it seeks to support small businesses who can be exploited by large customers because they have more authority, more power, more influence, and you know more financial clout when they're negotiating commercial terms. And also on top of that, uh, we've had some scandals with large supermarkets who pay, like, say, small farmers and suppliers locally, and they delay those payments way beyond the terms because they can. And so this yeah. um, this code is actually a register that names and shames those larger supp- uh, lo- larger customers who um, who do those practices. If you're struck off, then that suggests, yeah, you're not a good business partner to be dealing with. So mm. be prepared, uh, start building that into your pricing, et cetera, and even offering probably penalty 
late payment penalties and stuff. Um, but what have you seen in America uh, as the biggest challenges small businesses face when managing or trying to manage their cash flow? So number one is understanding it. I, I, everything we've talked about today, the, the other unfortunate thing that happens is business owners are brilliant, but they're generally technicians with an entrepreneurial itch. Meaning they know how to do something really well. They know how to grow, grow fruits and vegetables and livestock mm. in that particular situation, or they've come up with a, something they know how to manufacture really well. They are not in any way, shape, or form finance people, nor should we, I don't think we should expect them to be. So we've got to get past that point where they can actually hire help. It's really tough for the really small business people. It just is. But at that point, up until they continue to make cash bank balance decisions, and that's the number one thing. If there's one thing that somebody really isn't paying attention to anything, stop paying attention to your bank balance and set up a budget. And especially for money you're pulling out of the business or you're trying to invest in a new piece of equipment, you've mm -hmm. got to set up a budget so you don't pay yourself too much or you don't invest in that piece of equipment that in theory will produce returns, but you're going to go broke because you can't pay it back. Yeah. And that would be my number one suggestion. Budgeting so you're not misallocating money for yourself as an owner or reinvesting too much. So it all comes back to good old financial discipline and really uh, scrutinizing what you're investing, even your short-term yeah discretionary spend. Yeah. I mean, I'm working with a lender right now because they want me to teach their borrowers or their potential borrowers. Some they're going, mm -hmm. we would love to lend to you, but you don't know what you're doing. And these are companies that are at least $3 million in revenue. That's, you know, about 3 million pounds now. I think we're at roughly yeah. par. It's not a super small company, but these are also 5 million and 10 million beyond. And so mm -hmm. these are okay. These are, you know, employees and they should have decent cash flow. And they're so frustrated because an owner will show up. They know they just got a big order in. They just lent them a bu bunch of cash in a great big shiny new vehicle, a truck or an expensive sports car. And they know exactly how it was paid for. <clears throat> it was on the money that was supposed to be going in to run the business. And it's a challenge. We all want boys. But we, we need to have the business to pay for them appropriately. And it all comes back to that psychology, right? I mean, the owner might be thinking in their heads, it's good marketing to have such a nice car and then flex it in front of the customers. But, you know, the commercial customers would probably think, well, this guy's obviously wasting their finances. <laughs> hey, as far as I'm concerned, you want a sidecar that's sort of old and beat up that, yeah. you know, not too bad, but, you know, 10 years old. Mm. Yeah, and show, drive that to the customers. And you can say, well, we're, you know, our margins are bad. You can't do that in a bright, shiny new vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with the Dante. Thanks. And, uh, oh, this is this is such a good conversation, David. One thing I, I also like, I'm, I'm personally passionate about technology. I work with IT. And uh, in London, we have a fintech community. And uh, there was uh, a few years ago, I saw a fintech CEO present uh, at their company service, and they were looking to disrupt payments. 
and um, one their business model was using AI uh, to analyze data on large customers like a supermarket and then offering uh, instant cash to small and medium-sized suppliers, obviously taking a small percentage of that transaction and splitting it between both themselves, then the um, supermarket customer, and also the supplier and paying them uh, some notional fee for processing the payments. Um, and and this, this could only work if they had enough data, so big enough customers to be able to predict which invoices would would be likely approved, et cetera. So getting that history. And uh, I don't know how much you've been working on that side, uh, but do you, I mean, what have you seen um, in terms of the role that data analytics plays in the evolution of cash flow modeling? Is there something else you've seen that's interested you? So we've talked about this, the fundamentals of uh, mindset. Hmm. That's not going to help with mindset. It's not going to help with your bookkeeping. And it's not going to help with the, the next pillars, modeling. Hmm. You need to understand how cash is coming and how cash is going out. It doesn't, this is when you're all the way down to the optimization standpoint mm-hmm. that you say, okay, now we can start optimizing our accounts receivables. Mm-hmm. Or if you're the larger, you know, you're the, the, the purchaser, we can start optimizing our relationship with our suppliers because that's what you're really trying to do. You're not trying to pay faster. You're trying to have better relationships. And you've got this third party who's willing to provide financial services. The, the tech is the analysis and the fin is the, they probably have a, a investors so they can float money. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. we're talking about. They're, they're a bank. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a place for it. But if you think that that's going to fix all your problems because you get paid today, you're, you're mistaken. Mm-hmm. Because I see it all the time. When companies get paid, they make dumb mistakes. I'll give you an example. One of the accountants who's in my program is working with a trucking firm. They get paid once a month. Because that's it just doesn't matter why they get paid once a month and they don't have enough money to do whatever they want to. They need to make it last for a month. And so um, the accountant has tried to work. It's over a period of six months. So, okay, this is your challenge. Wait for me for next month before you do not spend any money. Mm. And after they, he gave the accountant gave up after six months. So, it's there are no silver bullets there or no magic wands that can be waved that one thing is going to fix everything and that's one of my concerns remember i talked about those articles that i yeah. would read the yeah. last one was always buy my product or service and that's going to fix all your problems and it's it's a system that has to be put into place finance fine fintech is great yeah. and it's going to help but it's not going to solve the problem thanks david i completely agree and uh, coming back to your point about there being no silver bullets, it's so true. Uh, if you make it too easy for people, then they may get complacent and they'll fall into bad habits. They'll lose the discipline and that's where troubles come in. And as you say in this example you sh- you, you you shared, it's about, well, they get one payment, but somehow they're still living hand-to-mouth uh, month over month trying to stretch that payment to get to the next month. And that's a vicious cycle, I can imagine. So I've worked with 
companies that we, we talked about having to have systems in place and the psychology of the business owner that they would say, okay, this is how much money we need. We need a million dollar loan. We need a $2 million loan. Doesn't matter the size, but they haven't put the discipline in place. They get the loan. They do whatever they're, and all of a sudden it, loan and credit line, the loan pays off underlying bad debt usually or higher, more expensive debt. And then there's supposed to be a revolving credit line, but within one or two months, that revolving credit line is maxed out, and they're making the same dumb decisions they did because they didn't take care of the fundamentals, and now they're deeper into debt because you can go get that stupid money anytime you want to, the, the high interest rate credit cards or uh, MCA loans or other, I don't know if you have MCA loans in the UK, I hope you don't. They're cash advances off of credit cards, and they pull money out of your bank account every day, whether you have it in the bank account or not. So mm, sounds painful. <laughs> it, it is. It is. You're worse off afterwards after you get yeah the loan. Thanks, David. And yeah, you can end up just paying interest and not much else uh, becomes yep. very difficult. And um, yeah, speaking of interest, I mean, over the past several years. Um, as I said before, money was cheap, and then now we're in a recession. We've got high inflation, rising interest rates, monetary policy from the central banks being tightened. So from your perspective, out of all the things we've discussed, what would be your top three actions companies must take on cash flow if they haven't already? Well, the first one would be set up your model so you understand coming in, going out, we're going to be in three months. And it's got to be by week, by the way. Mm. Unless you're paid once a week, once a month and you pay all your bills once a, once a month, then you can set up a monthly model. That, uh, but uh, it doesn't work. You get paid every week, approximately, and you certainly have bills every week. So set up uh, that, you know, set up that. That's number one. Number two is if you don't have a line of credit, go get one. And if you have one, Try to get a bigger one now before you need it. And you're going to say, oh, but the interest rates have gone up. Well, the interest rates are, were at ridiculously low levels. Mm -hmm. These are getting back to more normal levels of interest. And you can make your business work. But the issue is you use the credit line as a revolving credit line. You don't get into it. You get into it and out of it and into it and out of it. And you use it as a business tool, not as an anchor. So that's two. Number three, you know, I, I think the relationships that you have with your clients and with your vendors, mm. why vendors? Everybody learned it during the, the, the supply chain issues. So one of the things I said earlier was pay your vendors early, right? They might give you a discount. Well, even if they don't, who do you think they want to ship to? The person who pays on time or early or the person who pays late. So relationships, you call it stakeholders. I would focus on stakeholder relationships, clients, vendors, and then the team within the company. There's so many stakeholders within even a micro business, but as the larger you get, the more stakeholders, that would be the three areas. Cash flow modeling, get a credit line, and then stakeholder relationships. Thank you, David. So insightful. And Speaking of insights, uh, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received from one of your mentors? 
out of chaos comes opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's why I remember it. And I've seen it over and over again. When um, layoffs happen, the people who keep their heads down and keep doing their jobs are the ones who aren't generally impacted. And, mm-hmm. and then there's opportunities for growth within a company when that happens. And I'm mentioning layoffs because that's what can happen during a recession. Although, in, at least in the United States, we're not seeing massive layoffs. We're seeing very highly visible layoffs, but there really aren't a lot happening. But what other type of chaos? Yeah, when you're having cash flow issues, there's an opportunity to strengthen, to strengthen your customer list, to, stri- to tighten up your, your inventory, to, uh, to get better relationships with the people you're paying by calling them and saying, listen, we might not be paying, paying you right now, but we're always going to talk to you. And can we set up a schedule? It might not be what you want, but we'll do what we can. So there's all sorts of opportunity to, to do better as a company or as an individual within an organization or outside the organization, because so many people who get laid off actually end up with better jobs down the road. At least that's what I've, I've seen. And I can speak from experience. That's definitely the case with me. Well, I can speak from experience, personal experience <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a fact of life. And whilst you feel like it's the end of the world, it's, uh, it actually isn't. <laughs> it's uh, it's, an, yeah. it's uh, one door closes, another one opens, as they say. Absolutely. But this is where out of, op- out of chaos comes opportunities. That's, it's complete chaos. When you lose your job or you're having issues with cash flow within a company, it's so much more chaos than if things are no cash flow issues, right? Or yeah. yeah, that's where the opportunities come. Thank you, David. And it's been an amazing, amazing interview. I just want to wrap up with two final questions. Do you have a project you're working on right now that you would like to share with the listeners? Well, it, it's an ongoing project. Uh, so I, I, in, I don't talk about it very much, but in 2018, what I started with was saying, I want to teach or help 100 million businesses by the year 2030, which is an outrageous goal. I'm not that kind of outrageous goal type of a person, but it just felt right. I started that in 2018, and it's literally called the Cash Management Project. So it's sort of on a back burner because we're doing for-profit, and I'm guessing most of that's going to be nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Through free materials, give it away. I don't know how we're going to do most of that. But in the meantime, the projects really I'm working on today is this cash flow advisory certification program that's going to be an ongoing project for a long time to teach other financial professionals, accountants, bookkeepers, and finance analysts, financial analysts, how to work with cash flow. That is a major ongoing project that I have going right now, Dan Dante. Thanks, David. It sounds wonderful, and uh, I hope I can support it by at least through the show, through the medium, and also through my social media channels. Uh, I think a lot of businesses right will need it and find it very, very valuable, especially right now. Um, those businesses that are going through the recession, it will seem very tough. But if they can reach the other side, um, there's opportunities ahead. So you have to think longer term. But yeah, uh, for a mm-hmm. lot of people living hand to mouth, it's really about the now. And anything that can provide relief is is certainly certainly super valuable. So thank you. And then uh, in terms of uh, yourself, David, uh, where can anyone who's interested find and connect with you online? 
Well, there's a couple of ways. LinkedIn, I'm there daily. Um, there's resources there. And then also my website, it's davidsafir.com. And that's D-A-V-I-D-S-A-F-E-E-R.com. Oh, I just realized I turned on cashesclear.com. Mm-hmm. I have to get used to saying that. So <laughs> cashesclear.com is, is, is now working. So that's a little bit easier to remember, possibly. <laughs> Well, um, hopefully they won't have to remember because I'll make sure they're in the show notes. David, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much. This is Business Breaks. You've been listening to David Sophia. I'm your host, Dante Healy. And David, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Dante. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.